podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, boss man, we're recording. So many cool questions, prompts, ideas floating around in the Dynamite Circle forum and our inboxes. Thought we'd just poke around a few and give our thoughts on some of the ones that really jumped at us as live and interesting questions for entrepreneurs. The first is, how do you structure your team? A DC member asks, we'll anonymize, of course, because it's a private forum. Specifically directed at agency founders, curious to know how others are structuring their agency team. Do you have a specialist account manager who doesn't, quote, do the work, but just manages 100% of the client relationships? Or do you have, say, the person delivering the paid ads as a service, as the direct contact to the clients, for example, and the same with all other areas of the business? So it's sort of this idea of, in a service business, if you sell someone's time to a client, is that the person that then interfaces directly with the client. And there's a lot of different ways to think about this. I thought we could just um, talk about a few strategy, theoretical ideas around it and how we manage our service business. It's a good question. I think it's one that's changing too, Dan, very rapidly due to like specialization on the internet. So like this idea that essentially you can be very specialized at what you do and make a living doing it, right? So you can go sell your services as like an SEO expert on Dynamite Jobs or Upwork or any of these other platforms. And you can basically have like these little fractional jobs. So you can work at a couple different companies doing that. Some of it depends on your scale. If you own one of these agencies and you're just starting out, 10 years ago, you used to hire like somebody with the most in-demand skill set. So like I'm going to be like your ads person. And then I'm also going to interface with your customers. And I'm also going to do like the, the billing and all this stuff, you know, on my side time. But now I think you're able, because of specialization, you're able to hire for all the different individuals that you need at kind of like a fractional cost because you don't have to bring these people on full-time. You can bring them on part-time. It's kind of expected actually these days that you would be like part-time in an organization if you have a specialized skill set. That's kind of the way that we're approaching Dynamite Jobs too in a lot of ways. You know, Some of the promotions and things that we're doing for people's job posts when they come to us and then we go promote their positions. You know, we have like some specialized people that are doing that. Also in terms of like the recruiting product, we have some specialized people over there doing that too. So I think Dan, if I was starting an agency today, I would hire a bunch of specialized people. I don't think I'd hire a jack of all trades. You know, one of the common positions that people come to us and ask us to help them hire is an operations manager because that's kind of the last holdout. Most founders are like the operations manager. They are the person that holds it all together. They're kind of the hub in the middle of this wheel and then they have all these spokes. So they'll come to us and say like, hey, I'm kind of pulling the team together. Like I have all these contractors, but like I really need to go out and do something higher value, generally as business development or sales. So I need somebody to come in here and do this operations role. One of the things I think is interesting is this concept that was brought up in the forum and, and it's been written a lot about on the web is, are you going to have a hierarchical structure or a pod structure? 
And of course, there's like overlap between what the two things are, but typically a hierarchical structure would have that founder, CEO, and then the operations manager. And then say you'd have an SEO group with like the top SEO person and then, you know, SEO assistant number one, SEO assistant number two. And, you know, there'd be these like sort of this hierarchical management of all the SEO in the company goes through this like SEO lead. And then there's this alternative concept of pods where you have like an SEO person, a designer, a sales lead all in one pod. And then that pod manages a certain number of clients. And at least for us as like bootstrapping a relatively new service business, we've only been selling recruiting services for 12 months. The pod concept really resonated with us, both from a strategy perspective. You know, you look at what you're able to charge for your service and then you say, okay, well, you know, ballpark, I'm trying to get my labor cost to less than 30% of what I'm delivering this service for so that you know have a margin left over after all your expenses of executing the service. And so then you figure out like what that fractionalized pod is going to be. And you try to get your costs there. And this is a way you can sort of like brainstorm new businesses. So I think it's kind of interesting. If you look at like a traditional agency, you'd say like a recruiting agency, you'd say, all right, well, I sold this to a client. Now I'm going to have a recruiter do all the work and like they cost this. And so your rates are going to be a lot higher than if you had this like cross-functional pod that can essentially split up the work and do it for multiple different clients. Let me give an example of how this works in the business brokership world, for example. You know, if you go to Empire Flippers to sell your business, you're going to, of course, talk to a salesperson when you call them, but you're going to deal with different people in their organization for every functional area of that transaction. And that's different than dealing with one broker who handles you the entire time through the process and the cost structure is different. So what they can deliver to you is a lot different. We do the same thing in our recruiting service, which is when you call us, you're going to talk to one person who's not going to be the same person that's necessarily doing the assessments on every single candidate. And that changes the amount that you can deliver the value proposition you deliver. And this is sort of how we, we napkin math it is like figuring out what that pod is going to look like. A critical part of this for us is, you know, typically agencies are founded in the wake, so to speak, of the expertise of the founder. So if you're this amazing SEO person or salesperson or business broker or whatever, you're going to start a service business that often will do exactly what you're great at. In our case, we've been pretty fortunate to know a lot about hiring and recruiting, but not to have been recruiters ourselves. So our pod, you know, structurally and practically started with an expert level senior recruiter. People might say, well, how are you able to sell that at a fraction of the cost that typically it would cost to engage such a high level person? And the answer is by having an operational pod that empowers that first key member. So again, it's a theme we see time and time again, Ian, is when founders start agencies in the wake of their own expertise, in their own shadow, so to speak, they typically have a lot, a lot of challenges of separating themselves out and seeing this as like the mechanical structure that it ultimately is. Already in the next topic that jumped out at us, a little bit more lifestyle-y. I know you're a big lifestyle guy. Huge. A forum member writes, what guiding questions and prompts do you use to keep focused on what's important? There's a lot of interesting ideas that this particular member brought up that are important for them. But I thought, you know, let's just take a stab at it, Ian. We've been sort of cycling in and out of productivity systems and different business units for years now. I'm curious as to like where you've landed right now in terms of how do you stay focused on what's important? 
you know, on a day-to-day basis. This is basically the job of an entrepreneur. Well, we have a new business. So I I can probably say I have no lifestyle. That is my life. (laughs) And I think that that is the case with a lot of founders that are starting new businesses. It's like ass and chair from nine to five at the minimum to try and figure this out. So the question here is like, how do you stay focused? For me, I'm trying to create as much optionality in the future for us in this business. So I focus on the revenue, at least at this point, Dan, because I feel like if I can watch that and make sure that we're healthy and we're paying our bills and that we're leaving enough room to grow, then we'll have the most possible options in the future. By the way, I'm turning 40 this year. I think you're turning 40 this year. So, Thanks for bringing that up. In my 20s, I felt very differently than I do now in my like late 30s about how to stay focused. In my 20s, I felt like everything was an opportunity and everything was an option. I really did. I was like, I could do this. I'm going to do this. And I think we did a lot of things, Dan. But I'm actually like starting to see time running out. It's a little bit morbid in a lot of ways, but you just don't have time for all this stuff. You don't have time to pursue 50 businesses, plus have a family, plus have all these hobbies and stuff like that. So for me, actually, this issue of focus, every year in my life, it gets easier because I can say no to people that waste my time and to bad opportunities. And I can say yes to the things that are really important that I feel like are going to move the needle. With me, Dan, personally, I think like the age is becoming a factor. Like I, I'm starting to understand that I'm not superhuman in, in terms of like being able to accomplish everything and have all these dreams and have them all come true. It's like, no, there's time for like a limited amount of things to happen. And so that to me is motivating in a lot of ways because I can actually focus on the things that are important. It's a very um, existential answer. Boss, man, I expected you to bring up David Allen or your new productivity system. You know, one thing I'll say that's like a very powerful meta system as well. You're talking about perspective and life and experience. Actually, Parkinson's rule applied to your lifespan. I love that. (laughs) Well, you know, another one is asking yourselves, like, who's a true stakeholder in your business and how do you speak with them? I think that that is a, a very clear hack to a lot of this because one of the problems with simply prompting yourself every day, like I have a personal productivity system, Ian, which is I do management work for part of the day. I do administrative work for part of the day, but I do have that some maker time. This is part of my maker time right now. We're making a podcast. It is one of the three things that I'm trying to accomplish today. Every day I limit myself to only three things that I have a hypothesis will move the business forward. And I don't include like a phone call on that, you know? It's just a simple little productivity thing, the kind of thing we've talked about for years here. But I don't think that's nearly as powerful as like me and you actually talking. Like this morning, we had a stakeholder call with our community manager, Vincent Wynn. He called us up and said, there's some critical issues. I got to bring to your attention because I'm a stakeholder here. It matters to me how I'm performing in my job, how I'm coming across to our customers, what we need to do for them. And yeah, good idea for us to ally ourselves with Vince. Good idea for us to ally ourselves with each other. That's not the same as like going to a mastermind. It's not the same as going to a business networking conference. Having people, you know, Derek Penkow last week mentioned that a lot of bootstrappers really underestimate the power of investors in your business because, hey, you can call them up and they're stakeholders and they're going to say, hey, like stop doing this thing that's not useful to growing. You said you wanted to grow this way. Here's how I think that's going to end up happening and I'm invested. 
And a lot of people that aren't stakeholders, they're not going to take the risk to help you out to evolve in the ways you need to do to see the different outcomes you're trying to create. That's what's crazy, right? Because we start as entrepreneurs, we're trying to create a different outcome by definition. Like we're starting at zero in our case. Now we're getting to this like seven figure area and we realize that, well, we haven't really gotten to eight figures before. So if we just continue to have the same sorts of outcomes, the same sorts of stakeholders, you know, we might just end up where we ended up before. Another uh, thing to consider is like people consider these stakeholders to be different types of people. So it could be like an investor, it could be an employee, but it could also be a customer. I think sometimes these customers too, as stakeholders can be good because they can be the basis for how you push your organization forward. If they're giving you good feedback and you're engaging with each other and it's a win-win situation. Or if they're a great avatar. Right. Or they can be bad if they're wasting your time essentially. So I'll give you a couple of examples in our organization and how I can spot these people. People contact us all the time for free information about what people in certain roles should be earning. Meaning like, hey, I'm trying to hire somebody in Vietnam. Like, how much should I pay this person with no prior engagement with our organization? We've come up with a bunch of different ideas. Like, hey, maybe we need to come up with a PDF about like what people in this region should be expected to make if they're Python developers. Yeah, we're working on it. It's a difficult problem to solve. If you haven't engaged with me though, this is a way where I could easily burn a half a day answering your question, hoping that you're going to become a client. I would rather answer the question of an existing client because I know that we're going somewhere together. Okay, another way that this happens is um, people engage with us on our recruiting product. They set up a call and then it turns out like they're willing to pay someone that should be making, let's say, $5,000 a month, $2,000 a month. And I think to myself, well, if I was in your position, I'd probably be trying to do the same thing. But that's not how our business operates. We can't successfully help you find this person in 35 to 45 days at that price range. It's easy to get caught up in these conversations, Dan, especially like if you're early in the business and you're still trying to find product market fit. So you have to figure out a way to abandon these conversations as quickly as possible and kind of get on to what's important. I say that because like these people are stakeholders in some ways. They do give you insight into the future and the types of problems that they're having and maybe even the types of solutions that you can provide them. But they're also like a source of a trap, if that makes sense. I'd like to underline this point just to frame it up a different way, which is that as you grow a business and we're feeling this now, and we've certainly felt it in the past, is that it becomes a little less intuitive when things get bigger. I think a word traditionally used here is leadership, because like in the early days, especially of a service business, you're just being smart and helpful. And that's why so many people get into these businesses, right? Like, and you know, look, the person who wants to pay $2,000 a month, that was us. Like that is a lot of really smart, awesome people. Like that's a legitimate still is. Yeah. That's a totally legitimate thing in the world. Like we're not belittling that, but the hard part is like in real life, you know, if someone walks up to you while you're like at the gym or whatever and has a concern, you like minister to that. Like you give them a minute, you know, you don't like say, I can't waste my time on this, you know, but like in a business, like as a leader, as someone who's building systems at scale, you have to find ways to move past that really, really quick. And I do think it's also part of the reason why when we look at a lot of people who run eight and nine figure businesses, Ian, sometimes you can find some people that are a little crazy. Sometimes you can find some people that don't treat people particularly well, because there is a little bit of a nugget of a superpower there in not ministering to every emotion that comes across your desk. 
certainly a challenge that we talk about on a weekly basis during the company. We want to be thought of as people who are helpful and who care. But the reality is, as you grow and scale a business, you're not going to be able to please everybody all the time in every dimension. One of the things we have on our principles, by the way, is to find ways to like, be minimally useful to everyone. And one of the ways you can do that is you can refer people to other service providers in your industry, which is basically what our company policy is. It's like, hey, you know, we realize that like, we're not meeting your need right now, but here are some alternatives that you could take a look at. Let me take a moment to talk about our recruiting services at Dynamite Jobs. If you're thinking about hiring, our team can help you be more strategic. If you're in the middle of a time-consuming candidate campaign, we can take it off your plate. And if your HR team is having difficulty delivering the right team members, we can be their support. See strategy, positioning, promotion, filtering, interviewing, and assessing, they're all a tremendous amount of very important work, even for organizations with seasoned HR teams. But our expert team does it every day, all day. And it's not just our expertise you'll be accessing. We run one of the largest remote job boards and databases of qualified candidates on the web. Why not work directly with a team who hires hundreds of A players annually for businesses just like yours? So if you run a remote first company, we can help you grow faster and smarter. And the best part is we charge just one simple flat fee for every hire. And with Dynamite Jobs Recruiting, your results are guaranteed. To learn more about how we can help you grow, head on over to dynamitejobs.com and click on the Hire With Us link. Ardian, the last one is a tweet we dug up from Andrew Gazdecki. And he writes that, quote, on Twitter, startups are hard enough. Avoid drama at all costs and spend zero time with it. Takes way too much energy away from what really matters, executing. Producer Jane found this particular quote, and it's something that resonated with me. You know, one of the things that uh, a producer Jane wrote to us is like, this is sort of in the the vein of the recent Basecamp conversation. And there's a lot of conversations going around the startup ecosystem right now, which is like, should you allow political interests in your startup, which can often lead to like internal fighting or debate or people wanting to pull the organization in different directions. And something about what Andrew's identifying here has always really resonated with me about this, which is like, as a founder, as someone who's aka focused on what's important, What's important is your startup surviving and making a dent in the world. And the margins for doing that are so, so thin. You know, one of the things that can happen as you start to become a leader, as you start to work at scale, is the people that you're leading, you know, aren't necessarily going to be as focused, right? Like they have a bunch of different interests and they might bring them to the table. And I think as a startup founder, it's really worth asking yourselves, you know, what you're going to stay focused on because, again, the margins are are so, so thin. Well, you know, this is a very interesting topic, especially as you get to scale, you know, and especially as like, essentially like the minority has more of a voice than they ever have. I think a lot of good things are going to come from it. I think a lot of bad things are going to come from it. I'll give you a, a concrete example. In our organization, we recently had to part ways with somebody that was more interested in having kind of political conversations than they were developing code. It's an interesting problem for us because the reason and 
in the way that we got here was by not focusing on these types of issues. I understand though, as an organization evolves and grows, like some of these issues are going to come up. You might even feel like it starts to be some of your responsibility to address these issues. But at that same time, like you need to adjust your charter, you need to adjust your agreement with everybody in the organization, or at least the founders to understand like where everybody's heading. Because if like what we're going to do is we're going to have these like political conversations in our organization all day, like maybe we should become some kind of like news outlet. What I'm trying to do is get as many people into jobs and to get as many employers hiring people that need jobs. Like That's the mission of this company. It's very easy to say that, Dan. It's very hard to do that in practice. Once you start to have a bunch of people around, like you said, everybody's going to start to have their own opinions about things and their geopolitical views are going to start to come into play. I don't think there's any avoiding that, right? It's very easy for me to say like, hey, keep all this stuff out of the company. I do think that there is a place for it. But I also think, especially in the early stages of your business, what Andrew's talking about here, you have to avoid this stuff at all costs because that is a luxury. That is not a given. Like you have to work very hard to get to that place. Yeah. And you're using, you know, these things. I mean, these things are enormous, complex issues that again take focus. So you know, I think it's actually a great example that you brought up someone new to the organization, someone that showed up. This is an example that has honestly been whispered about behind the scenes. You know, founders, there's certain like political aims right now that someone who's a very marginal member of your team, there's certain topics that they can bring up that sort of like the organization like can't quash anymore just because like there's a general political understanding that like these five issues like need, if someone brings them up, like that's what we're talking about, right? Like you can't squash it. And the reality is people know this, like people with not a lot of power in organizations, because you know what it takes to get power in an organization, a lot of time and incredible input and potentially, you know, a long career of doing great work. And so why not just raise your hand and like be the smart person in the room and like bring up some enormous complex issue that now needs to be ministered to by the whole organization. You look at skin in the game motivation. If these particular individuals were really that interested in these issues, why wouldn't they dedicate their career to it? Why would they take a salary at a startup? Well, because that's where the salary is because that startup's focused on generating revenue, like which is what we're talking about. So I think the reality is is that I'm very sympathetic to the view that you know everything is political, but I think it's our goal to stay focused and to find ways to limit that focus. And if we really want to make an impact in the world, we know that that comes after the success. Yeah. So I think that that's why this is an issue so many people are sort of talking about nowadays. Again, I'm all about all kinds of issues like nominally. Nominally meaning like talking about it. Yeah, willing to have a conversation over a beer. But when you hire somebody and you pay them a ton of money to do like a specific important thing that's critical for organization, I was really proud of you for moving fast on that issue and saying like, I'm sympathetic, but like you're very young, you are not producing results here and you're very expensive and like you need to go do this. If that's what you wanna do, go do it. And it's not going to happen right here because we're trying to get wonderful remote workers and run wonderful remote companies. And that's our sole focus right now. Well, Dan, I thought we we're going to talk about a variety of things today, but it seems like the hot topic is avoiding drama. <laughs> well, let's get focused. We've got another meeting. That's it for the podcast. Thanks for joining me, boss man. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.